Well, hello. Thank you so much for being a part of this worship experience today. My name is Chris Montgomery, and once again, I'm here in the Founders Chapel at Fraser Church in Montgomery, Alabama. Thank you so much for being a part. Let's pray, and we'll get started. Father, we thank you so much for being so good. Lord, once again, we come to this moment where we get to open your word. Would you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to understand what you have for us today? And we believe you have something for us. So let it be so. In Jesus' good and powerful name, amen. Amen. You know, in life, disappointment happens when there is a gap. A gap between what we expected and what we experienced. We expected one thing, we actually experienced another thing. This happened a couple of years ago to me uh, when I was in San Antonio, Texas. Whenever you go to San Antonio, you have to go see the Alamo. You have to go see the Alamo. And of course, when you pull into the parking lot and you get out and you walk up and you look at the Alamo, one of the thoughts that can run through your mind is, well, I expected it to be bigger. I mean, this is built up so much in our history books, in legend, this amazing place, this famous place where this historic event happened. But when you get there and you stand outside the building, you think, hmm, it's not that big. Matter of fact, after I went to see the Alamo, I would run into people in San Antonio and they would all ask, did you go see the Alamo? The answer was, yes, I've been there. And they would all say the same thing, every one of them. And they would all say, it's not as big as you thought, right? And I would always say, right. And so there was a little bit of a disappointment that happened there. And that's a minor disappointment. Life is full of disappointments. Full of times when we expected one thing to happen, but our experience of that thing was much, much less or much, much different. Well, the truth is, Jesus actually disappointed a lot of people. He actually disappointed a lot of people. God in flesh showed up on this planet. The Messiah has come. And people, many people, looked at him and said, no way, no way. This is not what we were expecting. You may say, how did Jesus disappoint people? What is that all about? Well, the first century Jewish people were living with a very heavy messianic expectation. They were living with messianic anticipation. They wanted the Messiah to come. And they believed that when the Messiah would come, that he would begin a military and political revolution in many ways. And Israel and the Jews would be able to throw Rome out and then they would once again be free. They would not be colonized by another foreign power. And this was a part of their thinking. This is what they expected. This is the day they longed for that this would happen. It would look political and it would look like a military. Well, the problem is Jesus brought neither one of those things. Neither one. Jesus went about establishing the kingdom of God on earth as in heaven in a very different way which meant there were a lot of people who either said, he's really not the Messiah because he's not what I expected, or their expectation of what the Messiah would do, well, there was a letdown. There was a letdown. But many times in life, that's how it works. 
the mission of God sometimes does not always align with our agenda. And when that happens, there can even be uh, disappointment on our part as well. What Jesus brought, though, was a kingdom revolution unlike anything the world had ever seen. It was not just political. It was not just military. No, this is a kingdom that can survive in any place, in any country, under any kind of government. This kingdom has continued for 2,000 years now, continued to populate the earth. This kingdom survives all over the place. Yes, there are persecutions that take place. Yes, there are places where there's more religious freedom than others. But the kingdom of God continues to move. And move, it does, in powerful, powerful ways. When Jesus was going around telling people, uh, inaugurating, if you will, the kingdom of God on earth, that this is what he was about, Jesus would walk around and over and over he would tell stories called parables. And here he's teaching people about the kingdom of God, but he, he does it in story form, in parable form. So you have to listen and try to pick up on what Jesus is saying. That's why so many times he says, let those who have ears to hear, let them hear. Let them hear. And you know that Jesus is talking about the kingdom in parable form. <clears throat> Whenever he says a phrase like, the kingdom of God is like, it's like, or the kingdom of heaven is like this or that. And he goes on and tells the story. <clears throat> now, uh, whenever Jesus uses that language, we need to know then, again, he's telling a story. He, he wants us to see the images that he is using and enter into that story to get the meaning. We actually see one of those parables. It's a shorter one, but we see one in Mark chapter 4. In Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 26, the text says, Jesus also said, The kingdom of God is like. So right there we know he's going into a story. The kingdom of God is like a farmer who scatters seed on the ground. Verse 27, Night and day while he's asleep or awake, the seed sprouts and it grows. But he does not understand how it happens. Notice that phrase. The earth produces the crop on its own. First the leaf blade pushes through. Then the heads of wheat are formed. And finally the grain ripens. And as soon as the grain is ready, the farmer comes and harvests it with a sickle. For the harvest time has come. Now that's an interesting story. What I want to do with this story is, first of all, I want to interpret the story in, in light of Jesus's larger kingdom narrative. And then I want to pull back from that and ask some application questions for us. But the parable itself first. What is Jesus talking about here? He's talking about a farmer sowing seed, not understanding how this works, but it grows and then there's a harvest time. What does all that mean? That's a great question to ask. First of all, let me say this. When Jesus is quoting the Old Testament in some way, or alluding to an Old Testament passage. Jesus then is giving us context for what he's saying in the present, the present being 2,000 years ago. And right here, Jesus actually quotes, alludes to an Old Testament passage. It is Joel chapter 3, verse 13. 
that talks about the harvest time is ready. Get the sickle, it's time for the harvest. Now, you may say, what does Jesus and Joel have to do with each other? Well, the question is, what is the book of Joel about? What is the book of Joel about? Well, we see that the book of Joel is about the Messiah. It's about the coming judgment, where God will make all things right on the earth. The book of Joel is about a call to repentance. We see that theme. The book of Joel is about the pouring, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that we see Peter talk about on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. But also, the book of Joel is about the time of the great harvest. What, and that is a powerful, powerful theme. So again, what is the connection here? Notice that Jesus says in verse 27, he, re he references later in verse 29, this, what the prophet Joel says, but he says in verse 27 that this farmer who scatters the seed, he does not understand how it happens. That is a very important line, and it lets us also know who the farmer is. You see, Jesus is saying to the people listening, his disciples, he's saying, guys, you are the one that do not understand. You don't understand how this is happening. What is actually taking place here? If you look at the way Jesus uses parables throughout Matthew, Mark especially, you see a theme that there is a farmer, we'll call him God, and God plants a seed, we'll call him Jesus, and the seed is buried in some way, we'll call it a tomb, and then the seed ripens, we'll call that at the right time, resurrection, and then there is a harvest of the resurrected ones. And this is a theme that we see, again, throughout the parables of Jesus. But what Jesus is saying is that this kingdom here to his disciples on this day, this kingdom, it's not going to look like exactly what you think it will look like. And here's where the application comes in. You say, what does this have to do with us? And what does this have to do with today? Well, the bottom line is this. We have to remember that Jesus is speaking to his disciples. And he's telling them something very important. In fact, he's putting them in the position of the farmer who is scattering or sowing the seed here. And he's saying to his disciples, you're a part of this kingdom, work with me. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for partnering with me in this and following me in this way. You're a part of it, but even though you're a part of it, well, I don't think you're seeing the full picture of what's going to happen and how this is going to play out. You see, the bottom line, though, is that God's work in us and through us in the world God's work is not limited to our understanding or even our awareness of it all the time. There are times when God is at work and we do not understand how all of it is working. Or we're not even aware that God is working at that time in that way. Notice the way the parable talks about the farmer. He scatters the seed. And then it says, night and day, asleep or awake, it sprouts and grows, even though the farmer does not understand how it's happening. Right? Notice that night and day. This is telling us that God's work is continual. 
It's always happening. It never stops. God is always working. Now for us, we've been mandated by God to take a Sabbath rest. A Sabbath rest. That's not just an Old Testament principle. It's something that applies to us today in the fact that we should be people who have a rhythm of work and rest in our life. The truth is, that's how we were built. That's how we were designed. We're actually not designed for continual work all the time. We're designed for work and rest. But even though we rest, God is still at work. And if we come to that place where we think, well, I don't need rest, or I'm going to uh, pursue the American dream as hard as I can and work as long as I can or as many hours as I can, well, we actually find ourselves in one of those places where we feel like everything rises and falls with us. Or greed is motivating us or some other thing is motivating us. If we're doing kingdom work and we never rest, we really are in that place where we think it all depends on me. But God has created this world in a unique way. Matter of fact, you need three things to have the world. You need time, space, and matter. Genesis 1 tells us that God created all of these. He created time, He created space, and He created matter. He said in Genesis 1-1, He said, In the beginning of time, God created the heavens, space, and the earth, matter. So right there in Genesis 1-1, we see that God created all that we have and see here. Time, space, and matter, and therefore we have the world. But the world was created with a limited capacity. There is an ebb and a flow. There are seasons that we go through. There is a rhythm to how we live life. Even our bodies are not built to be up, awake, 24-7. There's a rhythm to life. And what that reminds us of as we live in that rhythm is that while we rest and we need rest, and while we embrace that and sleep well, God is still at work. God's work is continual. We may be limited, living in this world that's created with limitations, but God is eternal. He is in eternity. He is outside of those limitations. And so one of the things that we can find comfort in as the people of God, who are about advancing this kingdom that Jesus is talking about here, is that God's work is continual, it continues even while we rest, no matter the time of day. Which leads us to the second thing. He uses night and day, but also asleep and awake. Asleep and awake, which tells us that God's work is not limited to our schedules. So many times we think it is. We think that God's work is limited to what I can do or get done in a week. Now, I'll say this about our schedules, and that is that God wants to be the center in circumference of our life, yes. He wants to be at the center of our schedule, not just an add-on that we get to when we can work God in or when we can show up and be a part of the community of God, the people, the church. God wants to be at the center. But God's work is not limited to our limitations or the demands of our schedule. Now, it is also true that sometimes we need to not commit to so much so that God can be at the center, absolutely. But when life happens and life gets busy 
and tragedy happens. Or maybe you find yourself in a place where you think, I'm getting behind on my spiritual walk with God because the demands of my family are keeping me up late at night or getting me up early in the morning or have me working weekends. It's okay. It's okay. That's just a season that you're in. It's just a season. And God can still work even when the schedule is not working. Even when life is happening around you or happening to you or happening within you, God can still work. And I believe He is and He will continue to. So notice these images, night and day, night and day, asleep or awake. But He says, what's happening is that it's still sprouting and it's still growing. What He's saying is that God works to bring new life. He's continually working. His work is not limited to our schedule. And what God is bringing is new life in us through this kingdom that's breaking through, both in our life and in the world around us. New life, the opposite old death, the old sinful nature, sinful self that leads to death, as the Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. And what this tells us is that God is still working. And He's working to bring that new life, that resurrection life, into our lives. And as He does that, God motivates us. God motivates us. We're actually changed in a deep way. Where we start wanting the new life that God wants to bring into our life. We start wanting it. You know, we're told today that, well, uh, you are what your fallen self desires. We don't word it that way, but we just say things like, well, that's just who you are. So you need to learn to be okay with that. But what we're told is that I am what my fallen desires are. They define me. And the new life of the kingdom that God loves to bring into our life says that's not true. That God is in the desire-changing business. Just look at the stories of the disciples. The first ones to hear about this kingdom of God, to hear this message and partner with Christ in sowing these seeds into the world. Look at their life. All of a sudden, they wanted one thing. They were pursuing one thing in life. They, they, they wanted a job. They wanted to provide for their families. There were things that they wanted. They wanted the fishing business to work well. Matthew wanted to collect taxes and do that well, maybe even in a very unhealthy way that produced gain for himself. But those are desires. They all wanted something. And then when they had this encounter with Christ, what they wanted changed. And we know that because their actions changed. And so when God is bringing new life into our life, God motivates us in powerful ways. And in that motivation, He molds us. He changes us. He shapes us. God not only wants to bring justification into our life, you know, where we come into a relationship with Christ, we accept Him, and it's just if I'd never sinned, that famous quote. God not only wants to bring justification into our life, but also formation into our life. And so while He's changing our desires, motivating us, and helping our motivations be different, He's molding us in those moments as well. And that molding then leads to maturing, where God is maturing us. You see, yes, God wants you to be in heaven. He does. One day. 
But in the meantime, God's work is to get heaven in you. And so when Jesus is going around talking about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is like, he's telling us how this can be in our life. And what he's saying today is that you can live with expectation that God is at work, that God is, is going to do amazing things, amazing things in your life. Don't mishear me, though. I'm not saying God is going to give you everything you want do everything you want him to do that everything in life is going to work out that is not what I'm saying but I'm saying the journey that you're on if in fact you are on it the journey of the kingdom we're gonna see God do amazing amazing things because his work is continual it's not limited to our schedule in any way and he's constantly bringing new life in new ways into our lives into our lives. And we need not forget that every day we can live with this expectation that God is on the move. The kingdom is advancing out there and also in me. And then one day, one day, one day God's work will be complete. It will be complete. And that is important to that we keep reminding ourselves of that, that what God is doing now Yes, in history. Yes, on this planet, but also in me. One day, this work will be complete. There is, in fact, an end in sight in that sense. And one day, all things will be made right. And that encourages us in this moment, in the present. And that's what the parable tells us. It says that one day, it's going to be harvest time. It's going to be time for the harvest. And God is going to reap that great harvest those people who have experienced this new life that the kingdom brings. And we're living in it until that day. Here's where we are as a church. And here's why I, want to talk, why I wanted to talk about living an expectant life. Right now, we are about to enter 40 days of vision. We've entitled it 40 Days of Vision in his steps as we follow in the steps of Christ this kingdom bringer and this kingdom builder and starting next week that's where we're gonna be we're gonna be starting a 40-day campaign as a church and I want you to walk into this time and do so with an expectant heart knowing that God is gonna move God is going to show himself in powerful ways in our church a part of this 40 days is you're going to have a devotional book that you're going to be able to read through as we go through the 40 days. Not only that, John Ed and I are going to be doing 40 prayer videos. We're going to try to keep them to under a minute, and we're going to send them out every day as we go through these 40 days of prayer to give us a focused prayer point for each day as we're on this journey together. Not only that, in all the messages that I give, there's going to be a weekly challenge. A weekly challenge. It's going to be very focused about where you are, but also where God is taking you and where God wants you to be. And then not only that, I'll just say there's going to be a few more tweaks or changes along the way. 
I'm not going to say much about that right now because I want you to be a part of our worship services on September 13th. I promise you, God is going to speak in some powerful ways. And I believe that we're entering into a new season here at Fraser. I believe that God has put something in my heart. He's birthing it in other hearts all around us. And I believe that the days ahead are going to be amazing. And I'm inviting you to be a part of that journey with us. Forty days has uh, profound significance throughout Scripture. Throughout Scripture, And so I believe that God has called us as a church to enter into this 40-day period. And I believe it's going to be powerful. I believe that in these 40 days... We're going to define our vision. We're going to deepen our understanding, our collective understanding of who God is and what He's doing in and amongst us. But also, we're going to declare together that our best days are ahead of us. Not because anything was bad about the past, but because this kingdom that we are a part of is advancing. As we enter into these 40 days, as you prepare your heart for next week and what we kick off next week, I want to invite you to pray with me Psalm 25 and pray it each day leading up to September 13th. Psalm 25 verses 4 and 5 say this. They say, show me the right path, O Lord. Show me the right path. Point out the road for me to follow. Lord, would you make that clear? Lead me by your truth. We want to be grounded in God's truth, not our opinion, God's truth. Lead me by your truth and teach me. For you are the God who saves me. And all day long, all day long, I put my hope in you. My invitation to you is to prepare, first of all, for this 40-day journey. You know, whenever we go on a trip, uh, we prepare for that trip. And depending on how long that trip is, we may take a little more time to prepare. And so I'm inviting you for one week, just one week, to pray Psalm 25, verses 4 and 5 with me each and every day. That we would just say, God, would you show us the right path? Would you show it to us? God, would you point out the road ahead? Would you just make that clear for us? God, would you lead us and teach us in your truth, not our opinions, in your truth? And Lord, may that happen all day long. May all day, may our hope be in you and in you alone. And so the first thing I invite you into is, would you just pray that as we go in preparing for these 40 days? And then in these 40 days... We're going to make the devotional book, uh, book available. We're going to have the 40 days of prayer videos go out. And then there's going to be a weekly challenge. And as we approach those, would you just take those seriously with us as we're on this journey? I believe God has some amazing things in store. I believe that He's been speaking in powerful ways, leading in powerful ways, guiding in powerful ways. And He's brought all of us to this place at this time in history. And I believe he's going to do something amazing through these 40 days together. I cannot wait to take that journey with you. But for today, my prayer is that we would live with expectant hearts as we prepare for that journey. So would you pray with me? Father, in this moment, I thank you so much 
that your kingdom is still advancing. You are still doing amazing things, that your work is continual. It's not limited to anything that we have to offer or anything that this world has to offer. But Lord, you are on the move. I believe that you have brought us as a church to this place, to this time in human history. And you're going to speak in powerful ways and move in powerful ways. And so, Lord, would you help us prepare our hearts for this 40-day journey? And Lord, while we're on it, may we not lose sight of you. It is all about you. It is about your kingdom. It's not about building our kingdom or Fraser's kingdom. It's about your kingdom. And may that be the focus for your honor and your glory. In Jesus' good name, amen.